0: Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today's Thursday, June 18th. Oil prices are up, Hertz's reputation is down, maybe except among Robinhood traders, and we're focused on what happens next for dreamers. So earlier today, the Supreme Court ruled five to four that the Trump administration violated federal law when it ended DACA, the Obama era program that protected nearly 650,000 unauthorized immigrants from deportation. Chief Justice John Roberts, who had been appointed by George W. Bush, was the deciding vote and wrote the majority opinion. Three things to know. First, DACA specifically applied to people brought to the U.S. before they were 16 years old. It lets them become eligible for work permits, but does not give them a path to citizenship. Two, top industries for immigrants eligible for DACA include hospitals, food services, and grocery stores, or as they are known in 2020, essential services. Three, the Supreme Court decision does not take a position on the actual policy of DACA. It basically argues that the Trump administration used an illegal process to end it. Now, here's one thing we don't know, what happens next? Does the White House try again, but legally this time? Does it propose a permanent fix for Dreamers, which it had said it wanted to do, but couldn't until this case was resolved? Or does all of that depend on if Trump is reelected and in the absence of answers to any of that, how do Dreamers and their employers proceed? For answers on that, we will go deeper in 15 seconds with Jeff Davidson, who argued this case in front of the Ninth Circuit. But first, this. We're joined now by Jeff Davidson, a partner with the law firm of Covington, who argued this DACA case in front of the Ninth Circuit. So, Jeff, let's start here. Obviously, people today, a lot of people who are particularly DACA eligible are celebrating this ruling, but it still doesn't grant permanent status or a path to citizenship to anyone in the program. From your perspective, how precarious right now is the status of DREAMers?
1: So I heard one of the dreamers earlier today say what I thought was the right approach, which is today we celebrate and tomorrow we fight. This is a tremendous result for DACA. It safeguards the program. It places us back where we were in 2012 when the program was new and DACA participants can rely on its protections. DACA is great, but what we need is a permanent legislative protection for dreamers that gives them a path to citizenship.
0: The ruling basically says that the White House used the wrong process or an illegal process to end DACA. Is there an argument to be made that this opinion kind of could provide the White House with a roadmap for how to do this legally?
1: It's a roadmap, but it doesn't predict whether the road is passable or not. What it says is basically two things, that the administration failed to consider, even assuming that the administration's supposed legal concerns with DACA were right, they failed to consider alternative policies that they could have pursued that would have protected some of the benefits of DACA while addressing those concerns. And the other thing it said is that the administration failed to consider what it called the reliance interest, but basically failed to consider the welfare of DACA participants and their families. And I think our view is that any reasonable government agency, were it to consider the welfare of DACA participants, their families, their schools, could not have reached the outcome that the administration
0: reached. You talked about kind of this question of the welfare of dreamers. For folks who are eligible or who are even registered in the program right now, should they have any concerns about, for example, losing work eligibility? Or is that, again, something that just happens in the future? As
1: a result of this ruling today, we win. That means that DACA participants who have work authorization, they can rely on that work authorization. It is in place. The rescission that the administration attempted is gone. It's wiped off the books. So for today, it can absolutely be relied on.
0: Jeff, there's obviously been a lot of discussion over time about how immigration at least in the abstract, helps the economy. What are the best metrics to understand the impact that DREAMers specifically have had on the U.S. economy?
1: So it's actually been measured. The main economic impact of DACA is that it moves DACA participants from the underground labor force into the lawful labor force. And so people who, for instance, might have had to accept off-the-book's work as gardeners or agricultural workers or whatever, can, with the benefit of lawful work authorization, become teachers or computer programmers or what have you. And the benefit of that is enormous. The best economic estimate that is out there right now is that DACA results in a $215 billion benefit to the U.S. economy over a 10-year period and about $60 billion in additional tax revenue just to the federal government.
0: You argue this in front of the Ninth Circuit, the Supreme Court rules this morning. How did you find out?
1: So the Supreme Court says in advance uh, what days it's going
0: to be coming out with opinions. But it doesn't specify, right? You don't know which one's coming when, let alone what time.
1: Well, we know what time, 10 a.m. Eastern, and so every day for the last six weeks or so at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern, we've all been frantically clicking refresh on our browsers. And today I, uh, I hit refresh, our opinion showed up. I read the first paragraph, started crying, uh, went upstairs and uh, told my wife, and uh, it was really an extraordinary moment.
0: How long did it take you? Because you are a lawyer and lawyers care about these things. How long did it then take you to read the rest of it? I assume you read it front to back, I assume.
1: I've read it front to back. I haven't read the dissents yet because when you're dissenting, it means uh, you didn't win. Uh, uh, No, it took me a few hours to get uh, all the way through it.
0: Jeff Davidson, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Welcome back. What we're watching today is the suburbs. Realtor.com reports that home searches for suburban zip codes jumped 13% in May, doubling the growth pace of urban zip code searches. Now, some of that is the obvious byproduct of urban lockdowns, with people deciding they'd prefer front yards to front lobbies. But it's also possible that the expansion of remote work even once the pandemic has passed, could maintain this trend, which would reverse years of American urbanization. We're also watching the next phase of stimulus with increased talk about giving individual Americans another round of checks and maybe even extending those supercharged unemployment benefits past the end of July. As part of that conversation, don't be surprised if we begin to hear a lot about the billions of dollars in tax breaks that large companies got in the earlier stimulus. My Axios colleague Bob Herman listed a bunch of them today. Complicated things like net operating loss carrybacks. But here's how to simplify it. Boeing generated an $862 million tax refund in the first quarter, almost entirely thanks to stimulus-related tax breaks. And finally, the last thing we're watching is Kim Kardashian West, who is getting into the podcast game. The Wall Street Journal reports that she will co-produce a criminal justice series for Spotify focused on the case of Kevin Keith, an Ohio man convicted of three murders, but who continues to maintain his innocence. So welcome to podcasting, Kim, but please don't take all the listeners. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Go Fishing Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.